The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Glorious. Again, good morning, guys. I'm going to say a quick prayer just so I don't screw this up, and uh, we'll dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you speak. We pray that as we continue to uh, encounter you in the Gospels, Lord, in your Word, that uh, we are convicted, Lord, that we are able to be liberated from that which binds us, and Lord, that we can be uh, set free to follow you in the life that you have for us. God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in a series called Encounters with Christ. We've been looking at different encounters people had in the Gospel of Mark specifically with Jesus and how those encounters, how those opportunities where they connected with him left them changed. And we've been meeting all kinds of different people through these Gospels. We've met cripples, we've met sinners, we've met tax collectors, we've met the disciples, we've had some times in storms. But today's reading actually is the reason why I chose Mark to go and to go through these encounters with Christ. Because we could have done Luke, we could have done John, we could have said, no, we're going to just pick and choose from all of them. But this specific encounter with Jesus, there is one line that changes the framework, changes the point of the story that the other two Gospels that tell the story, Matthew and Luke, don't include. And the story begins like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now, this idea of someone coming before Jesus and prostrating themselves, putting themselves at his feet, is actually fairly common in the Gospels. People who are hurting, people who are challenged, people who are confused or distraught, they come to Jesus a lot. And so this by itself isn't all that unique, the fact that a man would come up and fall before Jesus' feet. What we do find out, though, in the other Gospels is what type of man this is. If you read through the Gospels of Matthew, if you read through the Gospels of Luke, in fact, by the time you get to the end of this Gospel, you realize there are three specific things about this man that are different than most of the people who come and put themselves at Jesus' feet. First off, we know he's rich, right? So we're going to see this at the end of the Gospel, but the other Gospels talk about this. This guy has wealth, right? And this is a fairly impoverished country, but by whatever standards you had in Israel, this man has the big house on the hill. Right? Beyond that, we know he's young, right? So not only is he uh, has, have wealth, but he got wealth at an early age. And beyond that, we find out he's a ruler or he's a prince. Right? This is literally the guy you would see on TMZ. Right? Everyone knows who he is. He's got the right fashion. By all earthly metrics, he has everything you could want. He's young, he's wealthy, and he's powerful. And when we talk about people coming and throwing themselves at Jesus' feet, this is rather rare. 
Because most of the people who are coming to Jesus are destitute. They're broken. They need healing from either a spiritual or a physical malady. There's something that you can look and you can point to their life and say, there is something wrong here. And we as humans know how to spot that. They either don't walk the right way, their clothes aren't the right way, they're aging, whatever it is, there's some brokenness that you can see. But this man, he's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. Which makes this story rather unique in him coming before Jesus and saying, I need you. Right? So that's the background of who this guy is. And he says, good teacher, he, the young man, asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. See, he has everything. And yet there's still something missing. And that's going to be the theme and the main thrust of this encounter with Christ. Oftentimes we can think, if I just get this thing, it could be a physical thing, it could be a house, it could be a car, it could be an ideal It could be an accomplishment. If I can just get into this college, if I can just get this job or this promotion, if I can just marry this person, everything's going to be okay. And what we see in this story is the man who has everything, by all earthly accounts, is where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be happy. There's a hole in his life. There's a gap in his life. And so he goes before this guy, Jesus, who's been walking around the countryside, this teacher, and everyone else who's encountering him is finding something. And so the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do? The first thing Jesus does in that moment is he says, well, why do you call me good? See, no one is good except God alone. Right, because he starts off good teacher, and the young man thinks he understands who he's talking to. He thinks he's talking to either a life coach or just your average everyday rabbi, right? So it's someone you would go to for advice, but not the eternal, not the metric, not the objective, rational reason that's going to make you happy, right? Because if I give advice that you don't like, and mind you, I am a human person. I give all kinds of bad advice on a very regular basis, FYI, right? So you can come and be like, Josh, that's that's not going to turn out well. But Jesus points and says, no, no, no. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he's not saying he's not God. He's saying I am good. I am the definition of good. I am the objective reasoning that is going to make your life okay. He's reorientating the man to who he is, who he's talking to, who he's encountered. He's encountered God himself. It's deeper than merely being a pastor or a preach, uh, priest. And Jesus goes on, and he says, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Right? These are the commandments in the Old Testament. This is the way in the Old Testament that we were called to love our neighbor as ourself. Right? It's a system God set up. These are good things to do. Right? To not murder. To not give false testimony. To love your family and your parents. Right? He says, you know the rules. Do those things. And the man responds, 
He goes, teacher, the young man declared, all these things I have kept since a boy. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't call him out. Jesus doesn't respond. No, you haven't. You're not perfect. Right? Because there's a deeper issue here. Religion is not going to save this young man. Religion, doing specific things, living a specific way, doing the right things doesn't satisfy, doesn't fulfill this young man. He has everything, right? So not only now do we find out that he's rich, he's young, he's powerful, but he's also doing all the churchy things, right? He's loving his parents. He's taking care of them. He's going to Sabbath. He's going to temple. He's doing the sacrifices. He's doing all the things he thinks he's supposed to do. And there's still this gap. There's still this hole. Because religion will not save you. Even trying to practice the religion of Christianity, doing the things you think you're supposed to do, that isn't even going to save you. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes even as Christians, we can think, if I just do these things, then God is going to be satisfied, and that's going to fill my hole. What we find is, no, God isn't interested in a religion. He's interested in relationships. And that's where he points the man to. And again, I told you we picked Mark to go through the Gospels, through these encounters, because of one line. It's this line right here. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is going to prescribe something to the man. He's going to tell him to do something. And when I read what he tells him to do, I balk. And I could think, man, maybe Jesus is just trying to screw with the guy. Maybe he's trying to set that bar so high that he'll never be able to reach it. But that is not what Jesus is doing. No, Mark tells us Jesus looks at this young man, this guy who's trying to do it right, this guy who has this hole. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And that provides the context, the framework for what he's about to say. He looks at him, he loves him, and he says, one thing you lack. Just one thing. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. He says, come follow me. Give it all up. And I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. Jesus says, you're going to have to give up everything because anything that will stand in the way of us following Jesus, us connecting to Jesus, anything that's going to gunk that up is going to stop us from being able to follow, connect with, and have a relationship with God. See, Jesus isn't setting the bar so high because he doesn't want his man, the man to have a relationship with him. He wants to have a deep relationship with the rich young man. But he realizes as long as you're pursuing, as long as you're hunting after these things of the world, it's going to get in the way. And it's not that being rich is a bad thing. It's not that being young is a bad thing. It's not about saying, hey, I know God wants me to do certain things, so I'm going to do that. That's all good. Those are all gifts from God. But when we begin to trust in the gifts themselves and not the giver, when we replace those two in relationship, 
Everything breaks down. I was reflecting on this this morning. It's one of those times where typically I get the sermon done, it's in the bag, I send it off to Tanner. This morning I woke up and I'm like, oh, there's actually a really good example of this, of what this looks like. King Solomon in the Old Testament, if you were to adjust for inflation, is the richest man that's ever lived. He had everything. He wasn't just a prince, he was a king. And he was the king that all the other kings in the world would come and visit. He had the biggest house. He had the most livestock. He had the most money. He had everything. And he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is all about trying to figure out what is the meaning of life? How do you fill that hole? And he goes through and he says, well, the first thing, Trust in your finances. He goes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And that word meaningless in the Old Testament is the same word for the morning dew, vapor. He goes, you can try to seek after wealth. You can try to stack up enough. He goes, but it's vapor. It's not solid. You can't grab onto it. It's not going to fill you. And that doesn't mean that money is bad. But if you think that money is going to satisfy you, if you think that money is going to protect you, if you think that your checking account and your savings account, that's what you are going to rely upon, if the pursuit of money stops you from being able to connect to Christ, to take that next step in following him, in being generous, in being a part of what God is doing, of mental bandwidth. That's my big thing. If my checking account falls below a certain point, mentally, I can still, or uh, physically, I can be following Christ, but mentally, I'm worried about this thing, right? This gap. And so in that, Jesus, you you, got to give up that trust because it's not going to protect you. But it's not just money that we have. No, we can overcommit for success. Solomon writes, My heart took delight in all my labor, yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had achieved, and again, King Solomon achieved it all. He had it all. People looked at him and said, that's a successful ruler. That's a successful kingdom. He said, and all that's meaningless. All that's vapor. Because we can think, okay, it's not about the money, but I need the company to do this. I need this promotion. I need to achieve this status. And then everything will be okay. When I first started writing, I thought, man, I'm going to get published, and then everyone is going to realize how great of a writer I am. And that was where my stability was going to be, right? Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's thinking, you know what, if I can just make this team, if I can just make this accomplishment, everything will be okay. Maybe it's being valedictorian. Maybe it's getting into a certain school. And parents, this is something that we as adults have to somewhat protect our kids from. Have to be careful not to feed into that we can overcommit them to things, overcommit or model overcommitting ourselves to things that stop us from actually being able to connect to God, connect to his body of Christ. Because Solomon says that that too isn't going to fill you up. Or maybe it's not success, maybe it's not money, maybe it's just straight up pleasure. 
I said to myself, I will test what pleasure is good. That too proved to be meaningless. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing laughter. I hit the next episode of Netflix. Right? We can think, well, if I can just feel good, everything will be all right. If I can just go from one high to the next, everything will be all right. And it can be fun for a while, but it's not going to be solid. It's not going to be substantive. We need something deeper. Or like the rich young man, we're going to come and we're going to have that hard choice to make. And what's good is there is good news in all of this. After this encounter, the disciples are just despondent. They're like, if this guy doesn't have it, what about us? And Peter says to Jesus, so then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. And truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. He says, God is the giver of gifts. God is the giver of daily bread. Success isn't bad. Netflix isn't bad. Checking accounts aren't bad. He says, God knows that you need them. He is going to care for you. He is going to provide for you. And yes, there are persecutions that come along with us. We live in a broken world. And when we're on Team Jesus, the enemy, the other side, doesn't like that so much. And so we take our licks. But he says, I promise you, it's worth it. Following me, connecting with me, it will actually fill that hole. You'll get to experience life and life to the full. That's what Jesus said. He says, I have come you may have life and life to its fullest. This encounter with Christ, we realize that when we're willing to sacrifice that which we love the most, that which we trust in the most, that which we seek to protect us the most, that it's worth it. That he provides, he fills, he nourishes, he protects. In this life, he says, in the present age today and into life eternal. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to go into a time of song, a time of reflection, a time where we can just be honest with God and both realize how good of a God we have, a God who looks at us and loves us, but also to reflect on that which we cling to the most in this world, that we think is going to make us happy, that we think is going to make our families happy or our kids happy. We're going to give it back to him. That's going to lead us into a time of confession, we're going to go into communion where we actually get to encounter Christ. We get to encounter the body of Christ, the family of God together. I ask you all to pray with me. Lord God, you, you protect and you provide. Lord, you give us good gifts. And the greatest gift of all is a relationship with you. Lord, that we don't have to do life on our own terms, but Lord, that we can follow in your rhythm and your pattern. Lord God, uh, we come before you now in reflection and prayer and song of just knowing that you are good, 
and that your ultimate good is what we build our life and our foundation upon. God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.